yours to your time of study. If you're a guest and you have a child, sixth grade um, and below, there are classes, children's church, all downstairs. Just follow the crowd. Everybody else, please take your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Good to have the Flemings with us today. Gary, Suzanne, welcome. Glad you guys are here. For those of you who are, who've been in church at Fullness 20 years plus, you remember Gary and Suzanne. Uh, it's been a while. When did y'all move out of town? 15 years ago? Yeah, a long time ago. I can't do the math. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got a little struggle. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and following. We are talking, we're in a series on boldness about what it means to be bold as God's children. Uh, We are called, I believe, to speak out for the cause of Christ. So during this series, I'm talking about bold loving versus nominal living. Uh, Too many people are just barely making it through life step by step versus, I believe, living boldly. Breaking out of the passive attitude that so many people seem to be locked into. Are, are you with me? I mean, really, we are, we are just have been lulled to sleep. We have become a passive people. Now, uh, one of the things we're afraid of is that if we become bold, then we'll be ugly. I'm not talking about ugliness. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about being confident in the Lord. Uh, I don't know, many of you may not watch basketball. Adam and I were up late last night watching basketball, and uh, Adam's favorite team now is the Golden State Warriors. There's this player for Golden State named Steph Curry, who is, uh, he's only like 6'2", 6'3". He's the greatest shooter I've ever seen. And one of the things that makes him great is he believes he can make a shot anywhere from half court in. And last night, at the end of a game in overtime, he, he just barely stepped over half court sank a shot that no one else would take to win a game. Uh, I'm talking about a confidence in the Lord, a confidence in the Lord that comes not by my own ability or my own might, but a confidence that says, if indeed for from him and to him and through him are all things, then what have I got to be afraid of? We saw last week just a couple of scripture passages that I also included in your bulletin, um, when Peter and John are hauled before the authorities, it's said that now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. So what astonished them? Not that they were educated, not that they were rich, not that they were some certain level. They, they were astonished at the boldness of these two guys. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. There's a boldness that comes from knowing Christ that will astonish the world. Hebrews 13, 6, and several passages in Hebrews, there are a lot of passages that talk about our boldness in the Lord. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, when you realize who and whose you are, then you can live Love, pray, give, speak boldly. What is the motivating factor for many of our lives? For many people's lives, the motivating factor is fear. 
Author of Hebrews says, you don't have to fear. What can man do to me? You can live a bold life because you know that you belong to God. We serve a bold God. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus holy Savior, meek and mild? Wasn't Jesus a meek? Listen, meekness is not the opposite of boldness. Meekness to me is boldness under control. Are you with me? Uh, Meekness is boldness under control. I mean, I don't think you would say when Jesus was turning over the tables in the temple, he wasn't bold. Or when he was speaking before the religious leaders, he wasn't speaking boldly. Or even when he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he wasn't speaking. I mean, he lived boldly. Now, a lot of times his boldness was under control because he knew he was listening to the Father and sensing what he was supposed to be doing. Last week, we looked at what it is we have to boldly share with others. What is it that God has given us to share with others that we can share boldly? Not in ourselves, but we boldly share in the cross of Christ and who God is and the consequences of following him and the the change that occurs. And over the next two weeks, I want to talk about what it means to live boldly for him. And then I want to close out this series about boldly sharing what it is we have, again, to share. So today I want to, <clears throat> I want to share about bold obedience. Bold obedience. And to set this up, let me just say, if you remember last week, I made some comments that basically said, listen, the church is not a center for moral teaching. I mean, that's really not our purpose, to teach people morality, because I think that's a totally hopeless endeavor. Uh, The best I can do is, uh, it's just not going to serve a purpose, without going into depth about it. I, I can't teach you morality because none of us is good enough to do what we know to do, or to stop doing what we know we shouldn't be doing. So what the church is, is is a people who offer the cross of Christ and the change that comes in knowing him. But in doing so, then there's some sort of transformation that's got to occur so that we act like followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where the rub comes in. See, if I start talking about obedience and start talking about how it is we're supposed to act if we follow Christ, then for many people what they'll do is they'll start trying to act like they're followers of Christ when they're not followers of Christ, thinking that if I act this certain way, then maybe I'll get to be a follower. Listen, that the, the work of following Christ comes as a result of being his follower, not prior to. Are you with me? Now, this is really important. This is really important because this is where the church just gets all messed up all the time. Is that we start talking about works before we start talking about lordship. Works fall out of lordship, not into lordship. And so it's really important. And I want to I talk about obedience from kind of a different track this morning. Rather than, you, rather than saying to you, look, you shouldn't steal. Uh, you, you, you shouldn't have sex with people who aren't your spouse. You shouldn't do this. You should do that. You should give. You should go to church. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. I want to talk about really the, 
what I perceive as the foundations of obedience. The foundations of obedience out of which everything else will, will flow. So, I'm, now I'm in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 21 and following says this. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now stop just there for a second. So, it's not the people who say, Lord, Lord, who are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but who? The one that does the Father's will. So if you just stop right there, you're going to say, okay, then it's not just saying it, it's doing it, right? But we know that we can't do it. We know we can't do it in and of our own strength because we're just not good enough to do it. And by the way, isn't the church really big on words? We got a lot of churchy words thrown around all the time. Lord, Lord. Look at the people here. They're saying, Lord, Lord, and not doing the will, and so goes on and says, many will say to me on that day, I think that these people were part of a charismatic church. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's something wrong here. There's something wrong because there's activity without faith. But at the same time, there can't be words without a corresponding action. So if we're not careful, we get caught up in this. Is it action or words or faith or? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And I, and I believe that what, what Jesus teaches us here and in the Gospels and that Paul reiterates is that the gospel of grace, it's by faith you're saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. But you are God's workmanship, created in advance to do good works. Faith without works. Let's talk a little bit about obedience. What does that look like? What does that look like? Four points here. First, I believe we are called in obedience to repent boldly. To repent boldly. Every single person stands in need of a Savior. To repent, for those of you who've been around long enough, church life, the word is metanoia, which means to have a change of mind, to have a change of direction, to realize you're going in the wrong direction, and by the Spirit of God, He says to you, you're going in the wrong direction. You change direction and you change your mind. Your mind is changed by him, actually. Luke's version of this verse that I read earlier from Matthew makes it very clear. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So what do I mean by repent boldly? I mean, you're headed in a direction that's going this way. The Spirit of God is enlightens you, enlivens you, and you have a total change of direction. Listen, that's boldness it takes to go the other direction. Many of us, all we want is a course correction, right? We think we're doing pretty good. I'm headed in the right direction. Oh, I veered off just a little bit. God, get me back on course. 
I've veered off a little bit. Now get me back on course. And God is saying to you, the only way to come into faith in Jesus Christ by his might and power is to have a total change of direction. Quit going your way and go his way. Everybody wants to retain control of their life. Everybody wants. Look, I'm the happiest guy in the world if I get my own way all the time. I'm at total peace. I've got a content life. Just give me what I want. Who's not happy like that? But I want control. You want control. Coming into faith in Jesus Christ takes a boldness that says, I relinquish control from me and I give it to him. What does repentance look like? I want to just give you three things that I believe repentance looks like, and I'm not going to dwell on these, but there's a sense of brokenness over sin, a realization that we are indeed sinners, and, and it includes what our sin cost God. Once you realize not only that you're a sinner, meaning you've missed God's mark, you've done wrong, you were born into sin, but your sin cost God, his only son, Jesus went to sacrifice for us. There should be a brokenness over sin. Many people are not broken over sin. Hello. Many people are not broken over sin. What are they broken over? They're, most people, when they get caught in sin, they're, they're, they're broken over the caughtness. They're broken over the consequences of what's going to take place. They are not broken over their sin. True repentance means that I'm broken over sin. I want to avoid sin. I want to pursue God and godliness. Leads me to the second kind of picture of what it means to repent boldly. We start to long for what he desires and reject what he rejects. We love what he loves. We hate what he hates. Most of us, we love what we love and hate what we hate and hope that it lines up somewhere with what God's deal is. And we're consumed, consumed by a sense of divine love. In other words, his love becomes a motivating factor in our lives. Again, for many people, fear is a motivating factor. They're consumed by fear rather than love. There is freedom. Listen, think about this. There is freedom from performance anxiety when we come to know Jesus. I mean, really, I don't have to, I, I, I just, I rest in him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Well, that covers everything I don't need to cover. I mean, that's everything. Therefore, I've got the love of Christ flowing through me. Do you see how this can cause you to live more boldly? Think about how you can live more boldly. If you're, you're broken over sin, you, you love what God loves, hates what he hates, and you're consumed by his love for other people, then you'll speak boldly. You won't be afraid of what people will say or do. You won't be afraid that you'll make a mistake because you understand the grace and love of God. Jesus came preaching repentance. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. This is just one of many verses, by the way. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Change direction. Change your mind. Believe the good news. Not the news you see on television every day. Not the news we are inundated with. I mean, we're in scary times, aren't we? Again, this whole presidential thing. The more I think about it, the more I get all worked up. 
I mean, it, it, it's just scary to me. The options are looking scary to me. I mean, scary. I mean, if I'm not careful, I get all worked up and fearful. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is in us. What do we have to fear? Philip Henry was a famous Puritan preacher of the 1600s. The Puritans, you know, I know they're Puritans. Uh, but he, he has a great quote. He says this, if I were to die in the pulpit, I would desire to die preaching repentance. And if I die out of the pulpit, I would desire to die practicing repentance. Meaning, he, he wants to quit following his own way and follow after God. When I was uh, a little boy, I was in first or second grade, we went over to some friend's house. Um, Bob and Judy Barnes um, were really close friends of my parents. They're about the same age. Bob and Judy actually live here in Birmingham now. They lived in Jacksonville, Florida. They had a son about my age. His name was Brian. My brother's name is Brian, not to confuse the story. But So me and Brian Barnes were out playing in the backyard. Somehow Brian got a hold of some matches. And uh, Brian was like a year younger than me. And, you know, being the know-it-all I was, uh, I, I taught him how to light matches. Um, because somebody should show this poor kid what life is all about. So... Um, we play in the backyard for a while and go inside. And well, I was still outside. Brian comes out to me and he com- and he comes and he says, "Hey, Bart, come. Let me show you what I've done." So I walk into his parents' bedroom, and the bed is aflame. I mean, a burning inferno. And I'm like, you know, I'm only like six. He's maybe five or six. So I, my mom had told me never to interrupt adults. So <laughs> I go to the kitchen where my parents and the barns are talking, and I just stand there. And mom goes, Bart, do you need something? And I said, Brian set the bed on fire. <laughs> and they just look at me like, now this story is probably grown in my family's apocryphal telling of it. But I just say, Brian set the bed on fire. So my dad and mom and Mrs. Barnes break for the bedroom. The next thing I know, hoses are coming, fire trucks are there, because Brian has Brian. I never told him. I taught Brian how to light matches <laughs> an hour earlier. And Look, re- repentant, uh, uh, trying to act like you're godly without repentance is like playing with matches. It will consume you. I mean, it will destroy you. In the course of trying to, you know, the church, all all we've done at times is teach people to play with fire rather than how to be absolutely repentant and following after God. Uh, We need to be bold. We need to repent boldly. We need to, to live out that repentance on a daily basis. Second point is this. We need to love boldly. Love boldly. Whoever. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. Listen, Jesus in this, he says, when you come into faith, you love and then you obey. Why do I obey? Because I love. There's a sense of that divine love that consumes me. 
anyone who loves me will do what? Will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Listen, we've got to be consumed by the love of God. Now, here's the problem. In our day and age, many of us define love as some sort of emotion. It's the way I feel. I've got to keep my feelings up. You know, I gotta, and if I want to love my wife, I've got to love, you know, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. How many of you have been married long enough to know that love is really not an emotion? Some of you, don't, <laughs> what? He raised his hand. Listen, I think there's a di- different definition of love. Um, John 13, 34 says, a new command I give you. Is that the one that's up? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How is Jesus defining love? Oh, I really love you guys. You're so special to me. No, he's talking about going to the cross to die. He's talking about giving himself, serving. Love is an action. Love is a commitment. Love is not an emotion. How many of you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding? Do you remember? I don't really know what I had. I mean, most of us, most people at some point have 1 Corinthians 13 read at their wedding. Have you ever really read 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is? Just in case you haven't, I'm going to do it for you. I mean, think about, think about this passage on love. All right, I'm, I'm jumping in verse 4. First, love suffers long. I mean, think about it. (laughs) You're at the altar. I promise to suffer with you for the rest of my life. I mean, is that what we think about at wedding day? Now, don't raise your hand if you can say, you know, there's been some suffering in this marriage. But, But love suffers long. A lot of translations say patient or patient, but I think sufferers carries that sting to it because it just does. And is kind, an overwhelming kindness for one another. It's not about being served, but serving. One of the things I say in premarital counseling is live to outgive your spouse. Marriage is not about what you get get out of marriage. It's about what you get to give into it. Love is kind. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. <laughs> How many times in marriage, you, you know, somebody's getting on somebody, like your wife's getting on the husband, and he wants to say, you don't know how good you got it. Really. I mean, I know lots of people worse than me. You could have been stuck with one of them. Really? Love, it's, it doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. does not seek its own. Oh, wow, this is really tough. Is not easily provoked. Who, who do you get the most angry with the quickest? I mean, really. Most of us get the angriest the quickest with either our spouse or our children. Those that are closest to us. Because we figure, you know, we've, we've used all our patience and 
brotherly love out there in the world, and now we've got to come home and we've got to put up with this junk? No chance. This is where I should, this is my castle. This is where I should be myself. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Here's a question. How quickly do you spread bad news versus good news? Most of us are really quick on the bad news trigger. A little slower on the good news. It keeps going on. Bears all things? When the road gets tough, how do we respond? For most people, when the the going gets tough, the tough get out. And we have every right in this day and age, we believe, to abandon rather than bear all things. Believes all things. Do we really believe the best about each other? I can't tell you how many, the number of times, even in my own life, I'm not just pointing the finger out, but how many times in marriage counseling you can see the problem from an outsider where two people no longer believe the best about each other. And, and part of the job is trying to get a change of perspective. Because once you start to believe the worst about someone, it doesn't matter if they say the sky is blue, it's going to irritate the fool out of you. I mean, really, it just... Because you, then you have a motive. I wonder why they're saying the sky is blue. wonder what they're trying to get out of this. wonder what's really going on here. Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. To me, there's not one emotive thing there. It is about a commitment. It is about a change of mind. It is about a change of direction. Listen, just think about these first two points so far. I'm not even to some of the good stuff, but the first two points so far, if we repent boldly and change direction and head God's direction, and if we truly love with the type of love that Christ loves us, wow, what a, that to me is obedience. That to me, it's not about what you do with your, you, everything else will fall into place. If you follow after God and, and are consumed by his love, you don't have to tell people, you know what you need to do? You need to tithe. You know what you do? You need to go to church. You know what you need to do? You need to do this, and you don't need to. Why? Because I think they're going to follow after God. I'll go to the third point. Oh, I, I somehow... Forgot to change slides, but you understand. Number third, third point. Forgive boldly. Forgive boldly. <clears throat> Do you know Jesus placed a high value on forgiveness? I mean, a high value. Again, just a couple of passages because I think you'll get the point. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, I I don't want to pretend to understand all the implications of this passage. But forgiveness is important. When you say just from reading the Lord's Prayer, forgiveness is important. Matthew 18, Peter, uh, Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And he thinks he's being unbelievably generous. And to which Jesus responds, 
I tell you not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven, depending on your translation. And then, after this, Jesus tells the parable that you're familiar with about this servant who owes a master an incredible debt. And the master forgives his debt, and then this servant goes out and grabs a fellow servant who owes him like a penny. says, pay me my penny or I'm going to throw you in jail. Point being this, you have been forgiven. You've been forgiven an unbelievable debt. Now, what right do you have to hold an offense that someone's done to you against them? Now, here's where we in our humanity start to struggle. We start to say, yeah, but you don't know what was done to me. And I would say, yeah, you, you know, you're right. Some horrific things have been done. But compared to the totality of your sin that Christ has forgiven, even that horrible thing you need to release. Now, what does that, what does that mean? I, I, this is not a long sermon on forgiveness. We can, we'll, we can get into that in days ahead. But in, in many ways, it means not to hold their offense against them. Yeah, but you don't know what he did. Again, or she did. What they did is not the point. It is the, it is the position that says, I choose to not hold this against you any longer. I release it. Listen, being forgiving, being repentant, loving, and forgiving, is, are there any other three things that are so counter to our culture? I'm going to go back to the presidential election. I mean, I, I, I was so happy a week ago when I had not seen one presidential ad in Alabama. Now they're unleashing on us. And I'm like, is the best you can do to say something bad about the other guy? Is that the best you got? It irritates me. You can't tell I'm bothered. But I'm forgiving them, and I'm going to love them anyway. You know, the problem, the problem with forgiveness is that we all, if we're left to our own devices, this is why repentance is really the key. If we're headed our own direction and someone bumps us and knocks us down while we're skiing, oh wait, that was me. Uh, if someone does it, we keep, we keep a list. We keep a list of the offenses that have been done to us. And we all have our lists. Now, so for some of us, the list is right here in front of us all the time. And everything that happens around us is filtered through the lens of our list of offenses. Have you ever known to somebody who is so easily offended? I mean, they, they, if you don't say hello to them in the right way with the right tone and use the right name and everything, they just are offended. Why is that? Because they're so wounded. They're so hurt. And, and, and if they can get to a place where they choose not to hold against the other people what's been done to them, then they can start to interact with other people in a spirit of love and kindness and boldness in the Lord. But all of us have our lists. You know, we've talked about Joseph a number of times. Just two weeks ago, I think I mentioned Joseph again. You know, Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, pretends he's dead, gets down to Egypt as a slave, gets falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar because he, he won't go to bed with her. So she accuses him of going to bed with her. So he gets put in prison for the very thing he didn't do. Stuck in prison. 
helps the guy get out, prophesies about it, gets out, you know, the guy gets out of jail, he's forgotten in jail. Eventually he gets out of jail, uh, gets out of prison, and then is exalted to the, really, the, the second most powerful man in the entire known world at the time. Now, if we were writing an American movie story, this is the point where revenge would take over. And we would love it. We would love it. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you think about I've thought about this on several occasions, but, you know, when Joseph gets out of prison and he's exalted the second highest, who, who, do, you, who do you think, like, wouldn't you want to ride your chariot by Mrs. Potiphar's house? I'm doing good. It's me. I mean, think about it. Just see, you know, you'd see Mrs. Potiphar at the grocery store. All your people would make her clear out because Joseph is coming through. I mean, in some way, he's going to get even with this false accusation. You know, one of my favorite books growing up was The Count of Monte Cristo. You ever remember The Count of Monte Cristo, falsely accused, great book? Dude exacts revenge. He gets out of prison and he exacts revenge, but then in the end, he realizes it doesn't matter. That really, he's still... The whole point of the book is he's still in prison because this revenge is so consumed him about the people who put him in prison. Though he's free, he's not really really free. It's a brilliant book. Refusing to forgive. Joseph is so consumed by the forgiveness of of God. Look what he names his firstborn child. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. This is a, this is a break term for forgiveness. You know, when God forgives you, what does he do? I don't know how God forgets, how he separates your sin, how he chooses to hold it against you and the memory of it against you no longer. And I know we're not like God, so... Our ability not to remember an offense against us is, is but at some point we, we choose by the grace of God and by his power to walk in forgiveness. I, I, I could really stop right here and say, if you, if you really want to live a bold life for God, if you're, if you're in the prison of unforgiveness right now, you need to not leave this place until you allow the Spirit of God and Spirit of truth to set you free. To live in a spirit of forgiveness is to live boldly. Final, final point, and we're going to talk about this in the days ahead, so I don't want to, the final command is to go boldly. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is his final command to his followers. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Acts 1.8, the final thing he says to his followers, for he ascends back into heaven, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're going to talk about bold sharing in the days ahead. But as followers, as part of the obedience to God, repenting, loving, forgiving, and going. Now, where on here did I tell you, here's what you got to do? 
not really anywhere in the sense of, hey, you got to go to church, you got to, you got to tithe, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to, you can't do this, you can't steal, you can't. Why? Because ultimately, I believe everything flows out of these four. Repenting means I'm not going my own direction. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to. Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's in control of me. Now I choose to love because that's I'm a, I'm a loved being, so I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose to forgive because I've been forgiven. And I'm going to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around me. Again, I think if you're flowing in these four, you don't have to get into some sort of religious legalism. Instead, you're flowing out of the obedience of life in Christ. When James says faith without works is dead, I believe ultimately he's talking about forgiving and loving and giving to others out of a spirit of life in Christ. If we'll really get a hold of these four people, we can live lives boldly for him. Lord, I pray today that indeed we will be a people who live boldly. Lord, may I repent boldly. May I understand that I am, I've been going in the wrong direction and I change direction. And then every time where I'm off path or off track, Lord, I want to be back on track with you. Lord, I want to love I want to commit to love today in a supernatural, very special, very dynamic way. Lord, help me to forgive. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins. All of my sins. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving. Lord, I pray that no matter what's done to me, I I pray that, God, I would be quick to forgive and to not hold it against someone else. And Lord, I pray that as I leave this place today, I will go boldly in the name of Christ to share the good news with the world around me. Lord, I thank you. I praise you. I rejoice in you today. I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ, maybe they've even said the name of Jesus or used the term Lord, Lord, but they're not really in relationship with you, oh God, I pray that today, Spirit of God, you draw them to the name of Christ. Lord, for those of us who are followers of yours, may we boldly obey your commands to love and to forgive and to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up with me if you would. For a moment before we leave, we're going to have a time where we pray for one another. Uh, If you need prayer this morning, maybe you need prayer for direction, maybe you need prayer for healing, maybe there's been something that's been spoken today, and you need a specific prayer uh, concerning that maybe you want to come to know Christ in relationship, maybe, maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, Pastor, I'm having trouble loving like I'm supposed to love or forgiving like I'm supposed to forgive. I have something against someone. Would you pray with me to help me break through this breakthrough in my life? Ministry teams, come on to the front. And if you need prayer, for any of these things, then just come and receive while Mitch and the team lead us in a prayer. Maybe you don't need prayer. Let me encourage you right now to commit to these truths operating in your life today.
you need prayer, just come right now. The hopeless have found their hope. The orphans now have a home. All that was lost has found its place in you. You lift our weary heads. You make us strong. Instead, you took these rags. You made us beautiful. All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. 